We're, we're on the life of David. There we go. We're on the life of David. And uh, this morning we had a great time preaching. And I know it was 58 verses and it was long. But um, I had to cover the whole story. And I'm glad I did. And uh, it was a great victory. A great victory for the name of the Lord. And then we go to a few chapters over. And we see David slide from faith to fear. And then he began to act crazy. You ever heard, you ever seen somebody act crazy? Sin will make you crazy. This world will make you crazy, amen? Um, and uh, there's a lot of people that are losing their mind, and I say that very respectfully and very mournfully. There's people that are trying to uh, end their lives that we need to minister to. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. I talked to somebody yesterday about their relatives being cooped up for five months. There's mental health problems that can happen. There's mental health problems that can happen to a person that doesn't get out some. And I don't mean be careless. I believe in all this stuff that we're going through. But I'm telling you, uh, we need to pray for those that are um, captured by the spirit of fear. And I believe we ought to be cautious but not fearful. But David slid into terrible fear. I mean, he became, he even act crazy, mad. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10 through 15. I was going to have some testimonies uh, from the bus minister and let uh, Brother Chris exhort us a little bit, but uh, I felt like Jack Trever needed to uh, share that with us, so we'll do that uh, some another Sunday night and let the bus minister report in because they're still going and they're still visiting, and I thank God for that. They're doing it very distantly, uh, front yard, porch preaching. It's wonderful. I thank God for you. But First uh, Samuel chapter 21, you with me? And let's go to verse um, 11. Stand in honor of the Word of God, please. And aren't you glad you can stand with the Word of God in the state of Georgia, North Georgia, Dalton, Georgia, uh, in this assembly? I saw some people going in the overflow room. I didn't know we had this many people here tonight. Praise God. That's wonderful. Just keep on flowing in there. That's fine. But um, look at verse 11. Verse 11. The Bible says, well, let's go back to 10. And David arose and fled that day for the fear of Saul. Now, he just faced a giant, and now he's fearing Saul who was his mentor, his trainer, his king, who he played the harp for. But look at this. And he went to Kish, the king of Goth. So he goes to the enemy territory hiding because Saul is after him because of jealousy. Look at verse 11. And the servants of Kish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him? Listen to this now of him in dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000. That's exactly why Saul wanted to kill him and he was tracking him. And look at this, and David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Goth. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned or pretended uh, himself mad, crazy in their hands and scrambled scrambled on the doors of the, um, the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Now, isn't that pitiful, you that wear beards? I mean, spittle upon the beard. Amen. Look at this now. And then said a kish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have we brought him to, him to me? Have I need of a madman? You brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? 
So his maneuver worked and he was freed. But I want to tell you something, he lost his testimony. And I want to preach just a few minutes on when David slid from faith to fear and acted crazy. But praise God, we're going to end in Psalms 34, how he got right with God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for uh, your blessings on this service tonight. We thank you that you brought the Millers back safe from Colorado. And God, we just pray for all those fires out there that God, they would, you'd be with the firemen and all the people that are fighting those fires and in California. And dear God, have mercy upon our nation, Lord. Uh, it seems like they'd wake up seeing that there's all kinds of pandemic and fires and now two, two hurricanes possibly hit the USA. And God, look, like we'd wake up and see that you're trying to get our attention you're allowing some things that are very hurtful and, and uh, God could be very helpful if we just uh, respond. And so Lord, help us to respond by faith and not fear. And Lord, help us be cautious, help us be wise, and help us to guard our children and guard our parents. But God, help us, Lord, to guard your name and during this time, keep our testimony, stay faithful, and love you more than we ever have. And Lord, we're gonna thank you and praise you for this chance to assemble in your name in Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, this morning I wasn't feeling too good. I didn't tell anybody that. Uh, but it was a, it was a emotional problem. And you know, a lot of times the, the devil will hit you emotionally right before a service with just something that you just could not believe. And he'll hit, hit you uh, spiritually most of all. And I hope he don't hit me physically. I was thinking about Brother Tim McCulley and his wife both have the virus and they're... they're uh, uh, secluded from um, uh, their their church, and I know he's he's really heartbroken that he can't preach and be in with his church. And then Brother William Nix, a good friend of Brother Jim, uh, he's 83 and he's got symptoms. And and you know the and the church is in disarray. I had a preacher uh, text me this afternoon and say, right before I preach, I got a text. Don't ever answer your text right before you preach. Amen. It's a dangerous thing. And unless um, it's somebody saying Amen and Hallelujah, I'm backing you up in prayer. And the, and, the, and the family said, we're not coming back. It's nothing you did wrong, but if we don't come back, um, don't take it personal. Well, how's he going to take it? He's only got 15 people in the church, amen? And, uh, you know, I'm just saying, uh, we live in a day and age where the devil tries to attack you emotionally. And he tries to uh, attack you uh, uh, physically, but he attacks you spiritually. And I believe we need to keep a good attitude of faith. We need to realize that God has called us not to faith, uh, fear, but to, to have faith. Uh, Alan Redpath, a great author, he wrote a great book on Joshua, never read his book on David, but he found it, uh, he said, I find it tremendously comforting, wrote Dr. Redpath, that the Bible never flatters the heroes. They never flatter the heroes. That's why I know my Bible's inspired. It tells the truth about them no matter how unpleasant it may be so that in considering what's taking place in in the shape of their character, we have available all the facts clearly that we may study them. Someone stated that they knew the Bible was inspired, I don't know who stated this, because it showed the scars and the stars of every Bible character. Now, if the Bible wasn't inspired, it'd just show the stars. But I believe the Bible's inspired because it shows you the scars. It shows you the depression. It shows you the anxiety. It shows you the tears. It shows you even the times that they recant and, and they desert and they betray and they forsake the Lord. And so I thank God for this Bible. 
that it shows you the bad chapters about David as well as the great chapters that we preach this morning. And I want you to notice, first of all, that David slid from faith to fear. David's called a man after God's own heart. And one of the greatest tributes a person could ever have is that you have a heart for God. David had a heart for God. He still had a heart for God. And he definitely has a heart for God now because he's with God, amen? Unless he's living longer than I think he is. So the Spirit of the Lord was upon him uh, mightily, and he faced Goliath and slew him, and, and that was only the beginning of his exploits in doing battle against the Philistines. He was known in Israel as the man of unusual courage and of great faith. But little by little, in God's protection, he slipped, and he replaced it with fear, his faith. And folks, I want you to see that he was doing that because King Saul was trapping him. King Saul was tracking him. And King Saul was jealous when he heard those ladies sing the song that attributed uh, 10,000 to him and only 1,000 to Saul. I'm going to tell you something. Jealousy will possess you. And jealousy will drive you. Uh, I once uh, knew a man in this church that was so jealous of his wife that he, would, that he would track her every day and he could do it easier now with the phones, amen. I track my wife every day. And uh, I want to make sure she's not at Walmart. But, uh, I, you, know, I, I, you know, there are a lot of times that he would take the odometer and he'd look at it and he'd follow her around and somebody would wave and he'd get all upset. You know, he died of a massive heart attack at about 48 years of age. I'm telling you something, jealousy will drive you crazy and it'll drive you into the grave earlier than you think. And so will anxiety. And so Saul became jealous and tried to kill David. Saul made several murder attempts. Saul planned uh, David's death on the battlefield. He promoted him just like David did Uriah. Isn't that something? I mean, history repeats itself sometimes, and sin repeats itself. And said, are you going to be a captain of the host and, and send him to the front lines thinking he'd get killed? And, they'd kill, and, and it didn't happen. He was too good a warrior. And then David had a lapse in responding and trusting God to protect him. He began to lose his spiritual and emotional bearings. And then he took matters in his own hands um, and he uh, went, it went from bad to worse. And you'll notice in chapter 19 of uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 19, um, he went to um, uh, his mentor, uh, 19 verse 18. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramoth and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelled in Nathiel. Folks, we see that Samuel didn't have the answer. And I think Samuel was afraid of Saul too because he was such a mean um, ruler. And so the question was asked, um, uh, and, he, and he, he just, the question was asked about Saul, was he a man among prophets? In chapter 10, verse 11. And then in the same chapter, chapter 19, verse 24, it says, and he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel. Something very interesting happened in uh, chapter 19 that they came to get David, Saul's men, and they began to prophesy, verse 20, 21, 22. Then Saul came himself, he began to prophesy. I don't know what that means, but it, it, I think prophesy means he began to preach. And so here's Saul. Uh, I don't know if he was really saved or if he was saved at all. He committed suicide. That doesn't mean you're not saved. But friend, I want to tell you something. Um, the Spirit of God came upon him and went on and prophesied in the name of Naatha in Ramoth, and he stripped off his clothes, took his clothes off. 
verse 24, chapter 19, you with me? And prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. And wherefore the, uh, they said, is Saul also among the prophets? Is he for the Lord or is he against the Lord? But he's prophesying and it was a miracle. And folks, I believe Saul missed the message. The message was, hey, there's hope for you, Saul. You don't have to live a jealous, murderous life. You don't have to live by the flesh. You don't have to live jealous of someone else. But the second message, I believe, in this passage is for David. I believe David could have uh, seen how God intervened, the armies coming after to kill him, and they began to prophesy for the Lord instead of killing him, they're preaching outside his place. And David missed it. Without God's permission, Saul could not touch David with what he was saying, but he missed it. And so we see the heart full of anxiety. Look at chapter 20. I'm leading up to Psalms 34. This is all introduction to the text. It says in chapter 20, verse 1 of 1 Samuel, and David fled from Naathah in Ramoth and came and said, Behold, before Jonathan, his best friend, his blood brother, what have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? So he had three questions. What have I done? And what is my sin? Why is your father trying to kill me? Well, Jonathan didn't really believe him. And uh, he thought he was overreacting. And David lost his perspective, he thought. And David did lose his perspective. He forgot the lion. He forgot the bear. And now he even forgot the giant that the Lord conquered through him, through him, not by him, but through him. And he was lost in the maze of current circumstances. You get lost in the maze of current circumstances, amen? I mean, this is a wicked day we live in. There's pandemics, there's rioting in the streets, and there's a stinking liberal governor trying to close a church down because there are, not, uh, there are too many people gathered. God help you. You ought to thank God that somebody's gathering in the name of Jesus in California. Folks, that's a foretaste of what will happen if we get a liberal in office. And so I want you to see the results. Second of law, Brother Code, I want you to see the results that David tried to scheme his way out of fear instead of faith his way out of fear. The first scheme is found in chapter 20, verse 5 through 7. He's already come to Jonathan and complained, and now he comes in verse 5 and says this, and David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is a new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at a meal. They have some kind of special meal for the new moon. Very superstitious pagan. And he let, and, 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 but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. And if thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that they might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. Now I want you to see this, verse seven. And if you say, we're in chapter 20, you with me? And, he say, and if they say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace, but, if he, but he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. And so here's his first scheme. He starts scheming instead of praying, instead of having faith. Don't we, aren't we all guilty of that? We try to figure out stuff and we try to maneuver and manipulate 
We try to uh, self-hypnotize ourselves out of fear. And it gets worse. He, he, and my question is, where is God in this plan? It's, it's, it's a divisive plan. It's a deceptive plan. David lies. He says, tell him I'm in Bethlehem for some special sacrifice. He wasn't in Bethlehem. He was hiding in the field. He's lying. Lying's still lying and lying's still wrong. Can somebody say amen? amen. Elbow somebody's got a problem with it. No, don't do it. Oh, friend, listen, lying's terrible because one lie leads to another and then all the lies lead to being a liar because you don't know which lie you said to cover up the next lie, so you just become a liar. His name's not even mentioned, Jesus' name. And that's the opposite of David's attitude back in our uh, account this morning, chapter 17, verse 37. The Bible says this that David said. He said, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivereth me out of the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, I will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And he knew the Lord was with him. He knew he had a sling, but that wasn't his answer. Praise God, that was his skill. And he slung it, didn't he? Amen. Now instead of slinging, he's sliding. He's backsliding. That tells me, friend, no matter how much victory you have, you better get up the next morning and pray, read your Bible, stay in church much as you can, because I'm going to tell you something, the devil never lets up, and he's worse after a great victory. Say amen. I found that to be true. God blesses, and the next morning all hell breaks out. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't think it's easy? Folks, I'm telling you, right after a victory, the devil's the worst. Right before the victory, the devil's worst. Why? Because he don't want no more victories. He don't want no more victories. And then look at chapter 17, verse 45. I like this. It says, And then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou defieth. I got to read verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hands, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses unto the hosts of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air. Listen now. And then all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, folks, he's changed a lot in a few chapters, in a few years. I don't know what the, the date is on this, but I want to tell you something, folks. What happened to David's God consciousness? I mean, he faced the biggest giant you'd ever dream of, nine foot six inches. He was raving maniac, murderous. And now Saul had backed him into the corner. And it was so dishonest what he did. Look at chapter 20 now and verse 27. Chapter 20, verse 27. I'm trying to get Psalms 34 real quick. And it came to pass on the morrow, which is the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, this is a little, this is a little banquet for the new moon. And Saul said to him, Jonathan, his son, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to me, neither yesterday nor today? He's ticked off because David's not at his little banquet. Look at verse 28, and Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. That was a lie. He wasn't in Bethlehem. Now look at verse 29. Then said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, and he commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not into the king's table. 
He had Jonathan lying. His scheme said, hey, go tell your daddy a lie. And folks, it gives the impression he was already in Bethlehem. And so folks, listen, oh, Saul got so mad that he tried to kill his son. That's wicked, isn't it? Look at verse 33. And Saul cast a javelin at him. Now David wasn't there, that had to be Jonathan to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Now Jonathan became a believer that his daddy was crazy, possessed, jealous, and murderous. And he didn't believe David, but now he believes David. And he goes back and says, David, don't get around daddy. He is a killer. He just about killed me. And so then David's second theme, uh, scheme, not theme, scheme. And it results in 85 priests being killed. And I won't read the whole story, but look at 1 Samuel 21. Second scheme. In chapter 21, we see that um, uh, David's scheme is purely a human strategy and it achieved the purpose uh, to get away from Saul's anger. And um, Jonathan becomes a believer in and in verse 33 of this chapter we read, uh, he becomes a believer, but then there's another fabrication and another scheme. Look at chapter 21, verse one and two, and I'll just read a few verses. And came David to Nob, Amalek the priest, and Amalek was afraid at the meeting of David and said to him, why art thou alone and no man with thee? Now here's lie number two. And David said to Amalek the priest, the king has commanded me to... To, to a business, and has said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereof I send thee and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. So he tells this king, Saul sent me. Saul didn't send him, Saul's trying to kill him. What a lie, and after David receives the bad news uh, from the beloved Jonathan, he comes up with a scheme and he lies. And he's sure nobody will find out, but in verse seven, there happens to be a guy named Doug. Doug was there. He was the shepherd of Saul. Look at verse seven. And now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day by happenstance, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doug of Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to the Saul. And so to make a long story short, he goes back and tells the king, I saw David, and he was talking to Ahimelech, Ahimelech, the priest. And if you'll know what the price that they paid for that was, is that uh, not only Ahimelech was killed, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. Um, 85 priests were killed with him, and then he wiped out the whole city, boys, girls, men, and women, were all killed because they were afraid that the priest was in cahoots with David. High price to pay for a scheme, isn't it? Now let me give you the third scheme because I want to get to my text. And that is in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, 11. The Bible says, David arose and fled for the fear of Saul. This is our text. And he went to Achish, the king of Goth. Now he's in enemy territory. And Achish recognizes him. And so then he becomes a madman. He doesn't really become mad, but he looks mad. 
He looks crazy. Spittle all over his beard, scribbling on the gates of the, of the fortress or the palace. And David was anxious beyond parameters. In such a state that he played a, a part of a madman. And the, the, the terrible plight of that was he lost his testimony to a bunch of heathens. And he lost his testimony of being a great man of God to some that he could have probably reached. Now let me close. I got 10 minutes. But I want to tell you something. After that situation in California, I might take 20. I might take 20. If you feel uncomfortable being here, please don't. You're not in California. You're in Georgia. Amen? Just enjoy yourself. But I want you to notice this and pray for others that are not having it so easy. God help us. But I'm going to tell you this. The schemes worked at least to escape injury. But they didn't work in his heart. He was frightful. It was so bizarre that he became to alter his, his behavior and be, acted like a mad dog. And there's darkness. And he escapes to a cave, the Bible says. And he begins to write. I don't know if he's dictating it or he's writing, but he starts writing. And turn with me to what he's writing, Psalms 34. And we'll close. Psalms 34. There's hope after fear. There's hope after backsliding. Aren't you glad? Because most of you in here have backslid one time or another. Say amen. I know some of you are angels, but some of you are not. Your halo is tarnished. Amen. And so is mine. In Psalms 34, this is a psalm written uh, right after he played the fool. And it says it right in the introduction of the Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Elimelech and drove him away and he departed. He ended up in a cave. And I want to give you the principles that he learned, but also I want to give you what he warns you not to be guilty of or you'll have some schemes that'll get you in trouble. Number one, we see because of his repentance, he wants to warn us. And I want you to look at verse one through three. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. You drop your guard, you become, you become a schemer. And he, he says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen? Psalm 34, verse two. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt the name. of the Lord together. Let us exalt his name together. Number one, we need to remain humble. We need to remain humble. I want to tell you something, God cannot help prideful, self-sufficient, self-centered people. But what we need to do is realize when we mess up, we should not try to cover it with scheme number two or scheme number three. What we need to do is fall on our knees and say, God, I can't handle it. I'm not able to go against Saul's. I'm not able to go against the giants of jealousy and anger and wrath. I'm not able to go against the philosophies of the world that's taught in colleges and high schools today. There's a giant of philosophies going around. I'm not able to go against the liberals. I'm not able to go against the baby killers. I'm not able, but praise God, you are Lord and I wanna be humble and I wanna humble myself and pray and seek your face. 
And God said he'll heal your land. But he'll heal your heart first. And number two, we need to keep praying. We need to keep praying. If you're taking notes, verse four through seven. Isn't this a wonderful psalm, by the way? Amen? It says, and I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my what class? Fears. He's sitting in a cave. He's scared to death of Saul. And he says, I sought the Lord. I don't know how long it took for, I almost said Peter. I don't know how long it took for David to repent, but he repented because he writes it down. Say amen. I got two more sermons on David I'll give you next week. And one of them's about Bathsheba. You thought I was going there tonight. But this is even better of how God lifted him up out of depression, fear. Look at verse six. It says, the poor man cried, excuse me, let's go back to verse five. They looked upon, uh, unto me and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Thank God we need to keep praying. Just need to keep praying. Folks, I don't know what to do during this time except keep praying. The thing that uh, bugs me and hurts me most of all is we don't have that prayer meeting back there. I'm going to figure out a way of doing it, keep you safe. But folks, we need to pray. Prayer room is more important than the banquet room. Prayer room is more important than the playroom. Prayer room is as important as the preaching room. We need to pray. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for churches going through this stuff. And then third of all, we need to trust God. Trust God. He made the Hall of Fame of Faith for something, didn't he? Look at verse 8. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. How many would agree with me that God is good? Say amen. amen. And let me just add something to it. He's good all the time. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Now, the Lord knows that we know the definition of fear. It means knowing God knows and knowing where God is. And it's an awesome, dreadful, uh, dreadful thing to displease the Lord. That's the fear of God. It's respect. It's respect. I believe that David lost his perspective. He lost his footing. He was a balanced attacker when he slung that big old rock. I don't think it was a little pebble. I think it was a good size. 50 cent piece, silver dollar rock. I can't, I ain't got no scripture for it, but it was big enough to knock that giant down. Knock him out or at least make him woozy long enough to draw that sword up. I mean, it was a big sword and chop that devil's head off. Amen. I'd like to have been there, wouldn't you? Praise God. What a victory. But look at, look at this in verse nine. Oh, fear the Lord, ye as saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lion do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You know what that's saying, friend? You need to put God first. You need to put God first. You scared of this virus? Put God first. You scared to die? Put God first. You're scared of this political scene and this violence in this world? Put God first. If you don't put God first, the devil will have a... A, 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 a doorway and a gateway to your life. The further you are from God, the more he has room to devour your emotional life, your spiritual life, and ruin your testimony. Drawn out of God, he'll draw out of you. That's the solution. Don't get crazy. Don't get mad. 
Don't get fearful. Get close to God. Praise God, he's the answer. David found out the hard way. Trust God. Keep praying. Remain humble. Fourthly, verse 11 through 14, be honest. Be honest. Here's the key. Verse 11, it says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Amen. You stay in the book, stay in church, stay close to God. You're going to learn who God is. When you learn who God is, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Amen. That will bring a smile upon your face and peace in your heart. But look at verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile, deceit, deceit. Look at verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Amen. We ought to be peacemakers. We ought to be peacekeepers. I was out in California. I know what I'd do. I ain't going to tell you. Boy, I'd have peace. There'd be some peace in my heart, but I wouldn't back down a second. I don't know where I'd get $4,000 of service, but praise God, we'd try Amen. Peace, peace, wonderful peace flowing from the throne of God. We need peace today. You're not going to find it distance from God. You're not going to find it maneuvering and manipulating and having a scheme to get ready. You're going to find it at the foot of the cross. You're going to find it close to God. You're going to find it at his feet. Peace. Be honest. When you sin, confess it. When you're fearful, confess it. When you don't know what to do, confess it. And ask God to help you. Be honest. Don't lie to him. He knows you better than that. Well, I got it all together, Lord. He knows you don't. Half of us don't. Probably three-fourths of us don't have it together. Spiritually speaking. We need God. We need God. And folks, it starts with a humble admission, confession. And then verse 15 through 18 this is where he gets good, and I'll close. It says, the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous. <laughs> Amen. And his ears are open unto their cry. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 9, check that later. I don't think that's the right verse, maybe 20 verse 9, that if you don't adhere to this law and love this law, that your prayers are an abomination to God. Well, I can pray, shoot up a flare prayer, tomorrow and not come to the house of God when you could come to the house of God, you're fooling yourself. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. He'll not hear you. Sin of omission keeps you from having great blessings of prayers answered. So we need to be on praying ground. Parents, this is every time we need to be close to God. We need to pray today for our children. They're going through a whole lot that I never went through. We need to pray for our parents. Pray for those in authority. But look at verse 16. It says, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I don't want the face of the Lord against me. It says this, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God, look at verse 18. And the Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite, broken spirit. 
He'll not despise a contrite and broken spirit, the Bible says in Psalms 51, verse 17. And I want to tell you something, friend. It's just urgent for you to be right with God, to stay right with God. And the only way you can be right with God is be full of this Bible. It's profitable for righteousness, for instruction of righteousness, for reproof and for correction, that the man of God would be thoroughly furnished, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17 and 18. Thank God for his word. Thank God for this privilege tonight. Thank God that you can read it in the morning. Thank God you can sing these psalms. Thank God you can meditate. Thank God you can memorize the word of God. Thank God you can come together in the name of the Lord and worship him, but have preaching. I love preaching. I love it too much. I love to preach. Sometimes I get tired of preparing. Today my eyes were getting heavy and I had a busy day yesterday so I didn't get Sunday nights done so I had to work all day today. And I was thinking, man, it'd just be good to have the night off. I think I'll just call Jason and tell him he's got the message. And then I said, no, I gotta preach this message. And then I went and got a uh, Pepsi and it wo I woke up and I got back to it, amen. And, and I barely made it here at 5.30. And I, and I just love the Word of God. Sometimes the preparation is hard and it takes a long time. And sometimes I have a message burning in my heart. And when I get all these messages, nobody's going to come. It just breaks my heart. I say, oh, man, I wish people would come. But thank God you're listening at home and you want to listen. I had Connie yesterday was going down to Alpharetta for a graduation service. And I said, honey, just call everybody that's missing. So she started calling people that we hadn't seen. I mean, some we hadn't seen since March. We want to see you. Praise God, we miss you. Where are you at? I know you're scared, but come on back. And boy, we had some encouraging calls. They said their teenager goes to the TV at exactly church time, so this is church time. That's not as good as being here, but praise God, that's better than not being there. At least listen. I'd like to take a survey. How many of you listened Tuesday night that weren't here? You did? Good. Pete, I was going to get on you. That's great. Amen. I'm glad you did. Amen. He said he had stood up with Miss Joanne this morning, but he, did, he forgot the words of the song. Next time we're going to give you a song book. Amen. A choir book. Appreciate you, brother. And sometimes we can't make it. I know that. Sometimes we're sick. I hope you stay at home. We got people in quarantine right now, and they deserve to be in quarantine because they've been exposed. Stay at home. But I want to tell you something, friend. When you can come, drag on in here, praise God, because it's the word of God that's going to be preached, amen. We're not here to see each other. We're here to see God, amen. We're worshiping him through his word. This is the image of God. This is the mirror of God. This is the mold of God. This is God's word. Praise God for his word. And folks, I want to tell you something. It's not just enough just to hear it. You gotta heed it and be right. You gotta get right. The only hope for our nation is that we turn from our wicked way. It's not in the next president. God help us on that. God help us on that. I mean, all these preachers sending me these videos, I didn't wanna hear it on Sunday afternoon because it got me so fired up, I wanna change my message about our potential vice president marrying two women and then going to court and allowing all these queers to get married in California a couple years back. And she's the one that gave the law, you've got to give them a license. 
I'm, I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm standing against it biblically. But folks, I want to tell you something. It don't start in the White House. It don't start in Congress. It don't start in politics. I'm going to tell you where revival starts. In the church. In the church. If my people, which are called by my name, we must get right with God. We need to have a hunger and thirst for God. Because it might come today where we can't come. Have to go underground. Oh, that'll never happen. That's what the Russians said. Then last but not least, and I love this. We all should be humble, pray, trust God, be honest. I'm closing now. Be righteous. Hang in there, Mom. Be righteous. But praise God, the last point just blesses my heart. We need to rest in the Lord. We need to rest in God. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered him out of them. What? All. He's speaking from experience. He's also speaking from a lesson learned hard. He failed. He failed. Have you ever failed? Yes, you have. And so have I. Look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And then look at verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. And I love verse 22, and we're closing. We're going right now. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Amen. He's in the cave, maybe by himself, but he knows he's not by himself because he just got right with God and the Lord's with him. And God moves on his heart to write this beautiful psalm for us. Because every time we fear, and every time we faint, and every time we fret, and every time we forsake, God's right there waiting to forgive us and invite us back to his presence if we'll truly be broken and contrite and repentant. And we can rest in the precious presence of God. Amen? All God's people said? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. And thank you even for the background of the psalm, which took 30 minutes to get to. But dear God, thank you for showing us that even after a great victory like Goliath, we can get our eyes off you. We can get our motive off of the name of the Lord that the whole world may know that there is a living God in Israel. We can get our minds off that. We can get our minds on ourselves. We can go into pure depression. And we can go into fear. And we can faint. We can run and we can fret and then we can scheme. But God help us to look at the end of the story. We can get right with God. And we thank you for Psalms 34. And thank you, dear God, for showing the scars of David as well as the stars, the uptime as well as the downtime, and showing us what it took for David to come to this place of dependence, of faith, of trust, of prayer, of humility, and yes, of rest. Rest. With every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment, how many needed this message? And God spoke to your heart in a specific way. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to God that you're going to listen, that you're going to hear, you're going to apply? God bless you. 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 Anybody else? 
God bless you. I see those hands. God knows your heart. God knows what you're going through. Some of us might be self-imposed. Some of us because wicked people. It's because of the devil in this world, the flesh. The world system's anti-Christ. But I want to tell you something. You're more than conquerors. If you'll draw nigh to God, put him first, seek him first. It's righteousness. All these things will be added to you. What? Things that you worry about. Like peace, joy, love, purpose. Anybody else? Get in on this. Get in on this. How many say, preacher, I'm not saved? If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven? And buddy, I'm going to tell you something. You better be saved in this day because you never know. But that's any day. You never know. Just I'm not saved. I don't have the peace of God. I don't have the purpose of God. I don't have the power of God in my life. But I sure would like to. And I want you to pray for me. If you're not saved now, you want, you want to have prayer. Would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Just say, hey, preacher, remember me in your closing prayer. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I thought there might be somebody in here that might want to get saved that's been under conviction. Anybody? Anyone? Just slip your hand up, then back down. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, even for this terrible time in David's life that brought him to you and wrote that beautiful psalm that we can be comforted, strengthened, and that our faith can be increased. I pray for these, Lord, that needed this message. I know I did. And I know many preachers that text me this afternoon, they did. I pray they'll listen. But dear God, I needed it. And I thank you, dear God, for giving me more peace than when I walked in this place. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.